Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Tonight I want to talk uh, a little bit uh, about the underlying ideas and concepts behind uh, the Stalinist purges and uh, we're going to uh, look a little bit at the uh, purges of the late 1930s and the show trials but I want to talk a bit about more everyday processes of purging that were integral to Stalinism and that helps to make the the horrors of the Great Terror uh, far more comprehensible and makes them far less kind of of uh, an aberration to the normal course of Stalinism and far less of a, a kind of a unique feature of Stalinism. Now, as I've mentioned um, earlier uh, in previous podcasts, I'm an enormous fan of the works of Sheila Fitzpatrick um, and Stephen Kotkin. Uh, And those two historians particularly give a very rich and very detailed view of everyday life in uh, Stalinist Russia. And I think that when you start to engage with the, the everyday and look at the lived experience of ordinary Russians or ordinary Stalinists, as um, Sheila Fitzpatrick puts it, you you see a, a kind of a much broader picture um, and a much more detailed picture uh, than the the kind of the normal focus that um, Soviet historians have always had, or historians of the Soviet Union, I should say, uh, on high politics and looking at the the machinations of uh, kind of party members. This is an approach that I really like, but obviously uh, understanding the the workings of Stalin's inner circle is obviously very important too. In Everyday Stalinism, Sheila Fitzpatrick um, says that um, one of the most important aspects of understanding the, um, the party and the party's relationship with society was to understand the the kind of the rituals of the party. The um, party had uh, various aspects which of um, uh, practice and uh, theory that were sacrosanct, and one of these was the uh, periodic um, cleansing of the party, the removal from the party of undesirables. 
Now, in uh, a regime that is based on a, a siege mentality and based on the uh, obsession with fifth columnists, not that before the mid-1930s the term fifth columnist existed, but was obsessed with internal enemies. So everything in terms of uh, uh, the dialectics of class uh, and knew that uh, the uh, old enemy classes hadn't been sufficiently eliminated yet and they were still sort of there. And this was an, an ideology that believed that uh, unless a kind of a profound existential transformation had taken place in an individual to proletarianise them, uh, that they would be harbouring dangerous bourgeois thoughts. The, the metaphor within Soviet discourse of the mask, of understanding what lies behind um, the mask and what lies behind the public persona and exists in the privacy of private thought, um, was a, a trope that's kind of trotted out time and time again uh, in um, Soviet writing of the era. And being able to uh, expose uh, the individual, the inner life of the individual, to the purifying will of the collective. This was seen as one way in which you can, or well, the, the most effective way, in which you can uh, help get rid of these sort of nasty bourgeois thoughts that are selfish and self-centred and uh, designed to destroy socialism in the long run. But because this wasn't always effective, it was assumed that dubious types had infiltrated the party and the party was a, a sh the uh, route to career advancement. It was the route to accessing resources and particularly food and shelter, which both of which are uh, scarcities in Stalinist Russia. So it wasn't just um, the party hierarchy, the top brass people like Stalin that believed that the party should always be on the lookout for dubious types. Through every tier of the party, there was an obsession that people with bourgeois ideas and um, people with um, bad class origins uh, who had um, been perhaps related to the oh, aristocracy or the government bureaucracy or had been their relatives had been part of the white armies, or later on that their relatives were kulaks, um, the people with bad class origins uh, would eventually have to be weeded out. So from 1928 onwards, in uh, across government departments and uh, agencies, um, there would be periodic reviews of um, the employees there and periodic reviews within the party of um, party membership. There would be a kind of an autobiography that the individual would have to write, which would be carefully scrutinised and held up against other documents uh, that the uh, um, that were written down about that individual. Um, and this would be followed by an interrogation by a commission, the Purge Commission, um, and the questions would deal with nearly any aspect of the person's personal life or political life. In everyday Stalinism, Sheila Fitzpatrick lists some of the questions. What was the individual doing before 1917 and the October Revolution? Were they at the front during the Civil War? Um, were they ever arrested before the revolution? Did they have any disagreements in the party? Are you a drinker? What do you think about Bukharin and the right deviation? Uh, what do you think about Kulaks, the five-year plans? Events in China? Is it true 
that you own a private automobile and you have a pretty wife who is also an actress. Do you get married in church? As your son baptised, who did your sister marry? And you can already get the impression from this that unless um, somebody had perfect answers and a, a unblemished class credentials and a perfect revolutionary track record before um, the revolution, then they were going to be at the very least suspect. Um, it was designed in the kind of typical Stalinist dragnet method of if you uh, wind up throwing a hundred innocent men out of the party and you catch one guilty one, well, you know, that's good odds. Sheena Fitzpatrick goes on to describe uh, the memoirs of Elena Bonner, who was the wife of uh, uh, Andrei Sakharov. Um, and in her childhood, she recalled a purge at the offices of the Communist International, Comintern. Um, her stepfather, Givok Alkhanov, uh, worked at the Comintern, um, and purge meetings were held each evening after work over a period of weeks uh, in the red corner of the Hotel Lux, where the Alkhanov Bonner family uh, and other Comintern officials lived. Yelena and other Comintern children hid behind the curtains and eavesdropped. And she writes, this is Yelena Bonner, You could see that they were nervous. They asked about people's wives and sometimes about the children. It turned out that some people beat their wives and drank a lot of vodka. Uh, Batanya, uh, Yelena Bonner's uh, grandmother, would have said that decent people don't ask such questions. Sometimes the one being purged said that he wouldn't beat his wife anymore or drink anymore. And a lot of them said about their work, that they wouldn't do it anymore, and they understood everything. The expectation that was that uh, the individual who was being interrogated would reveal uh, complicated and uh, detailed descriptions of their political life, but also often their personal life. The relationships within the home were uh, key indicators about the extent to which somebody had held on to pre-anti-revolutionary bourgeois thoughts. Um, drinking, domestic violence, um, lateness at work, uh, poor workmanship, um, spitting, swearing, these kind of anti-cultonost sort of values or behaviours were key indicators that somebody had not got on board with Stalin's cultural revolution. Um, the confession itself it was uh, unlike the normal Christian or Catholic confession, in that there was there's no absolution at the end of it. Nobody says, "Well, you confessed your sins. You're you know you're on the right side of history again now." No. Instead, the only expectation that somebody who was speaking up or confessing might have is that the uh, commission might be merciful. Lucky individuals were sent away with a warning. Um, they were given a, a good turning off. However, the problem with this was that their details were kept on file. And it was these individuals that um, survived the purge that uh, weren't arrested that would be uh, the, the low-hanging fruit for the secret police after 1936, these were the people whom, when uh, there were quotas for arrests, they simply looked through the files for people that had been interrogated and had a ticking off before, 
They were the first to be arrested, often the first to be shot. There's an interesting um, facet to the origins of the show trials. The initial show trials um, in the 1920s um, were not uh, performances that resulted in actual real sentences. Instead, these were um, events that happened in workplaces, in villages uh, and in communities uh, across Russia where local party officials would put uh, somebody on trial, perhaps somebody with uh, dubious class origins or somebody uh, in a workplace that had been involved in a breakage or a spillage or some kind of perceived act of hooliganism or sabotage. And the person would be, it was almost a ritual humiliation more than anything else. Uh, that person uh, would, be, would be forced to take part in a kind of a bit of theatre. Um, it wasn't about uh, establishing guilt or innocence. There isn't a, a kind of a, a, a sort of a process of jurisprudence as we have uh, in uh, democratic societies where evidence is evaluated by a jury and a judge directs a jury to uh, um, discount certain things and you know there are procedures and practices none of that guilt or innocence doesn't really matter guilt's already being decided beforehand the purpose of the show trial was to really create a theater out of the hideousness of the crime show trial is a very emotional um, process where people are, the, in the audience um, to the trial is uh, designed, is um, kind of prompted to whip itself up into paroxysms of anger and fury over the villainous nature of the... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Accused. However, initially, people weren't sent to prison, people weren't executed, and that wasn't the point. It was about showing um, the audience that there were class traitors in their midst, or that there were people who were engaged in sabotage, 
Um, and normally those people who accuse of sabotage would be able to, you know, drop a spanner into a, uh, an engine or something like that, and or people that were so tired at work through the kind of the overwork uh, that they were subjected to that they made mistakes. The first um, major central political show trial happened in 1923, and it was the right SRs, the right social revolutionaries. Um, the left SRs obviously allied themselves with the Bolsheviks, um, but the right SRs um, who had fought the Bolsheviks during the uh, Civil War uh, were put on trial then. Uh, the later uh, wave of uh, show trials began towards the end of the 1920s. The most significant first one obviously being the Shakti trial um, in 1928 and the Industrial Party uh, in uh, 1930, the Industrial Party trial in 1930 um, and the, uh, the Metro Vickers uh, trial where British engineers were uh, accused of uh, espionage working on the Moscow Metro. Of course, one of the key features of the uh, Industrial Party trial and the uh, Shakti trial is all of the charges are completely fictitious and obtained through, obviously, torture and duress. And the uh, accused either receive death penalties or long periods uh, of imprisonment um, and all obviously confess their guilt and play along uh, with the, the pantomime for various kind of traumatised uh, reasons. And then finally, there are the uh, Moscow trials uh, in the Great Purges period. Uh, there's an obvious of Kamenev trial of 1936, the Piatikov trial of 1937, and the Bukharin trial of 1938 where, of course, uh, it wasn't ordinary people being put on trial or even what were allegedly bourgeois specialists, but the elite tier of the party uh, who had come through the revolution with Stalin. And the extent to which Stalin actually believed any of this is uh, a difficult one to answer. Um, Stalin writes in his correspondence as if he does believe it's true. Um, but the historian Terry Martin suggests that probably for the top leadership, um, the trials made not a literal truth, but a kind of a metaphorical one, a, a psychological one. Uh, people like Stalin thought, well, Bukharin hasn't been allied with Trotsky and hasn't been colluding with uh, foreign powers to overthrow the country, literally. But he can't be trusted anyway and doesn't really have... Um, the is in the interest of the revolution at his heart, and is a you know a, a graspy, power hungry type, and you know uh, generally a, a bad Soviet citizen, and so he really should face some you know rather extreme revolutionary justice. Many ordinary people, of course, did take them uh, seriously, and um, and it's hardly surprising when even uh, Western intellectuals on uh, looking at the show trials, gave them an absolute kind of clean bill of health. Sidney and Beatrice Webb, the British Fabians and fellow travellers, uh, write uh, in their book, uh, Soviet Communism and New Civilization, that the accused in the show trials must have done something, and that the show trials are a harsh, 
but um, proportionate response to all the sabotage that's happening in the Soviet Union and that, that um, there is no other way to deal with saboteurs. And these are people who were decidedly on the, the, the liberal left of British politics and for reasons best known to themselves um, or their reasons motivated by a kind of a view of modernity and the place of Soviet communism within it were endlessly sympathetic to Stalinism. The obsession that the uh, top tier of Stalin's inner circle and uh, Stalin's secret police had with infiltration, with conspiracy, um, is partly to do with the, the nature of the revolution itself. There was a, a belief that the revolution hadn't really achieved all the things that it was meant to, and the reason behind this was because it had been stabbed in the back, it had been sabotaged somehow and the the kind of the veneration of Lenin meant that uh, everything that had happened after Lenin's death appeared to have been a kind of on a slowly uh, descending trajectory. Uh, in Everyday Stalinism, uh, Sheila Fitzpatrick quotes a conversation between a former secret policeman, a former Czechist, and the revolutionary and revolutionary dissident and exile, uh, Victor Serge. By the way, if you want to read really interesting accounts, not just of the Russian Revolution, but of Europe in the 20s and 30s, read um, Memoirs of a, a Revolutionary by Victor Serge. It's amazing, amazing writing. Anyway, Serge revealed their conversation. He, um, he said, The secret is that everything has been betrayed, said the Cheka man. From the years when Lenin was alive, treason has wormed its way into the Central Committee. He knows the names, he has the proof. At the peril of his life, he is submitting his analysis of the gigantic crime studied over years to the Central Committee. He whispers the name of foreigners, of the most powerful capitalists, and of others which have an occult significance for him. I follow his chain of reasoning with the secret uneasiness that one feels in the presence of some lunatic logician. But in all that he says, he is driven by one basic idea, which is not the idea of a madman. We did not create the revolution to come to this. So even though this um, Cheka, uh, former Cheka man um, might seem irrational, might seem to have um, lost his uh, sense of what is real, um, and might be what you know what we would describe as a conspiracy theorist now. He was not alone within the party and within the Soviet government. Um, there was a belief, by and large, that the revolution was not working as intended because it was constantly being undermined, and it was being undermined by conspirators in both inside and outside the Soviet Union, and these must be hunted for relentlessly. And the uh, task of uh, good Stalinists, good Soviet citizens, was to unmask the conspirators um, that were within our midst, that talked to you as, they, as if they were friends one day, but they were really working against you and the rest of society. Um, the con and they had a, an obsessional hatred of the Soviet Union, these conspirators, and they were making everything fail. Um, the reason why uh, nothing was really 
working effectively in the Soviet Union must be conspiracy because um, the revolution couldn't be at fault. There must be someone to blame. Of course, the regime did have uh, enemies, fairly impotent and powerless ones, but enemies that it had created uh, by categorising entire uh, social classes, such as the nobility, the bourgeoisie, um, priests, um, and then later the kulaks, as class enemies who were resentful of their loss of privilege and looking to overthrow the state. Uh, at the end of the 1920s was the uh, next phase in dealing with these undesirables who'd kind of, in the eyes of the regime, lingered on since the revolution and hadn't been properly got rid of. And the, um, from 1928 onwards, uh, moves towards class liquidation, of the wiping out of, of um, uh, categories of enemies, uh, particularly... Um, the Kulaks. But also, if you read uh, Doug Smith's brilliant book, Former People, um, he points out that by the uh, middle of the 1930s, the entirety, and those that had, with the exception of those that had fled, the entirety of the former, former nobility had been wiped out. And um, if you, he says, if you take the former nobility and the people who worked closely with them, their, their household staff and, their, um, and those people's extended families who were all uh, eliminated. He said, you're looking at um, perhaps one or two million people. The war uh, against um, the uh, kulaks, against net men and against the former people and priests was a very different kind of purge. This wasn't the purging of the party, but the purging of society itself. Um, and I will go into um, the kind of anti-kulak campaigns in greater depth um, at some point in the near future, because obviously they require a kind of a lot greater analysis. Um, Stalin realised in the late 1930s um, that um, a member of an enemy class didn't really become more likely to become a loyal Soviet citizen um, as a result of the purging. And so there was occasionally, there were processes of relaxation of purges, of um, dialing of the reduction in oppression periodically. And Stalin realised that, particularly with the anti-Kulak campaigns, that those that hadn't been rounded up into the Gulags or killed simply uh, fled across the country and reinvented themselves as proletarians and hid in towns and cities um, and became hidden enemies so far more dangerous. In general, it's hardly surprising that um, the Bolsheviks and later the Stalinists thought in terms of conspiracy uh, because their years as exiles, as parts of the revolutionary underground, were an education in conspiracy, and they were the conspirators. And so part of the institutional paranoia of the revolutionary underground then crosses over into the process of building um, the new communist state. Okay, well, I hope you found that useful. Um, do swing by the Explaining History Facebook page and say hi. We had some great conversations there recently. Uh, some really interesting folks have uh, 
brought ideas to the fore and you know debated and discussed and it's a really really nice forum so um do do swing by there and you can uh, catch up with some of the videos i'm putting online uh, for students as well anyway i hope you find this useful and i'll catch you on the next explaining history podcast bye-bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.